At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Good evening and welcome to America at Night with me, Rich Valdez. Give us a call at 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. Welcome. It's America at Night. I am Rich Valdez at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And I want to get into a bunch of things tonight. Number one is that the House of Representatives has voted to veto the uh, proposed 87,000 IRS agents and defund the uh, funding for for that particular measure, which was uh, part of the Inflation Reduction Act. And I I haven't gotten into all the details of it, but I'll get to it. It happened just about a half hour ago. So we'll keep you up to speed on that because that's what we do, right? It's America at night. We're keeping you up to speed on everything that's going on in America at night. And in addition to that, Another uh, interesting tidbit that happened today. AOC, all out crazy, my least favorite congresswoman from the Bronx and Queens. She wants Bolsonaro departed. Well, maybe not quite deported and not departed. But she uh, she says that we've got to revoke his visa so that he can't hang out in Orlando, Florida. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not alluding to the fact that he's... Um, hanging out with DeSantis or anything like that. But he's here soaking up the sun, having a good time in uh, Florida. And it seems that AOC is upset with this, obviously, because a whole bunch of things are going on in Brazil. And we'll get a report on that uh, eventually, a really in-depth one. But I have a a godmother that I grew up with who uh, is from Brazil. And her kids, my godbrothers, one of them lives over there. And he sent me a note on Instagram a couple of days ago and said, oh, my gosh, people are... uh, um, but busting into the uh, government offices here in protest of the, um, you know, the election. And I thought to myself, man, this sounds eerily reminiscent to what happened when uh, the FBI got their hands on things on January 6th. So we'll see what's what and who's who. I know the media has their plan on how it went. I've got my own plan. And that's the beauty of this whole thing that we do here. Everybody has an opinion on it and we get to talk about it right here on America at night. Now, Uh, Another interesting story here, and we'll get to these maybe in the third hour. I want to talk a little bit about Andrew Tate. Andrew Tate, you've seen him. He is, I think, the um, self-styled most misogynistic man in the world or something to that effect. Uh, He was recently arrested, and um, there's a lot of questions around that. But he's also indicated that uh, he's been hospitalized, and he's blaming it on the Matrix. So I'm going to get into that a little bit later as well, just trying to set the table here. And, of course, it's National Law Enforcement Day. Big kudos to everybody that's serving in law enforcement. This was a holiday started back in 1962. And while that's not a very relevant number uh, for me, 
I just think it's interesting that they've only been celebrating law enforcement since the 60s. And we've had a constabulary in our country for, I don't know, since day one, you know, when there was just a single sheriff in each kind of county. So I I have lots of um, uh, love, respect, uh, appreciation for those in law enforcement because uh, two of my older brothers were – are retired from the NYPD. They were cops. One of them still serves today. He's a Fed. Big shout out to my brother John, John Valdez. Uh, he's um, with the Department of Homeland Security. My brother Al Valdez, who's the head of security, used to be at the Waldorf. Then he was at the W. Then he was at the Crown Plaza. Now he's at the Mandarin Oriental, all in Manhattan. And uh, he does a wonderful job with the uh, threat assessments and uh, and just overall, you know, the lots of different aspects of securing, um, you know, a five-star hotel in New York City. So big shout-out not only to my bros, but to everybody that uh, is and has been a law enforcement officer because not an easy gig. And I'll tell you, while it was like the family business for us and that's all I ever wanted to do growing up, when I got old enough, they said, no, Rich, you know, you've got so many skills, talents, and abilities. And I said, really, I do? (laughs) Oh, boy, you could have fooled me. But uh, being that eating pizza professionally wasn't a thing, I, uh, I did not go into law enforcement. I did not go into professional pizza eating, um, but I uh, always wanted to serve. So I uh, ended up going to the an abbreviated police academy in Essex County, New Jersey, at Essex County College, and serving with the uh, police reserve unit in Nutley, New Jersey, and uh, very grateful for that opportunity. That was a lot of fun with the Nutley uh, Police Auxiliary in Nutley, New Jersey. So a big shout out to them as well. And I learned a lot about directing traffic parades, you know, ceremonial things like that, some court officer duty that I did. And, you know, we did some self-defense and uh, use of force training and whatnot. And it it really gives you a perspective when you see things from the other side, when you see how how not so easy, how difficult, how challenging it can be uh, when when you have a situation where you've got to make a quick decision, whether it's, you know, just responding to someone that has a medical emergency or anything else that comes with the um, intricate array of things that law enforcement officers do. So a big shout out to them on National Law Enforcement Day. Now, I also want to talk about throughout the evening with our guests how the balance of power is working out in the House of Representatives in Washington with the new Speaker McCarthy. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that. We're going to talk about the Border Patrol cleaning things up in El Paso and down by the border uh, ahead of Biden's trip to kind of make it look like everything was hunky-dory because, I don't know, he's been president for two years now, and this is his first trip to probably the biggest thing affecting our country, save except for, I don't know, maybe inflation. So, um, and again, both of these are in many ways self-inflicted wounds. And another thing, uh, I I don't typically gloat, but I do, you know, I mean, sometimes, uh, All right, maybe more often than not. Let's see. Let me not break my arm patting myself on the back over here. But that Brunson case that I was telling you about, as many of you may have been holding on to hope and thinking, I told you, look, and it's not that I I didn't want it to work. It's that I knew it wouldn't work. And that's the key. I think we've got to be very, very um, sensitive to things that don't work, right? If something doesn't work, for example, Kevin McCarthy having 203 votes, Saying that he's not going to become speaker, to me, that didn't work. It's all right to challenge him, hold it up, do whatever you got to do, no problem, I understand. But the idea that he should have stepped aside, that was never going to happen. So again, it was empty rhetoric for sure, because it wasn't going to happen. When you have 203 votes, you don't step aside. You've got most of the power. 
So you just negotiate until you get to where you got to be. And that's where he is. And, and, and this Brunson case is the same thing. This was something that was never going to happen. The court was never going to take up a case like this. And we talked about it, I think, on Thursday. Then we talked about it on Friday with Greg Jarrett. You know him from the Fox News channel. He's a legal analyst there. And he talked about his reasoning for it, which was similar to my reasoning, which was since when does the Supreme Court decide cases like this? I mean, if you saw the convoluted trail, it, it had no business being in the Supreme Court, this case. And I think uh, President Trump's attorney, Jenna Ellis, also um, made comments similar to that. So I think that's something that I, I, I make this point, not really just to say that I was right about it, but more so anybody who's listening who cares about this stuff to to be a little bit more uh, inquisitive in, in looking at these things and less emotional, more focused on, you know, why and how this could work or won't work versus, hmm, I don't know if this thing is going to work. Anyway, there is so much more coming straight ahead, so I don't want anybody to go anywhere. We've got a lot in store for you. We have Dinesh D'Souza. He's scheduled to be with us coming up, so don't go anywhere. Again, the phone number, 833, the number four, my last name, V-A-L-D-E-S, new phone number, 833-4-VALDES, and we're coming right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. You saw the photograph of the top secret documents laid out on the floor at Mar-a-Lago. What did you think to yourself looking at that image? How that could possibly happen. How one, anyone could be that irresponsible. And I thought, what data was in there that may compromise sources and methods? By that I mean names of people who helped, or et cetera. And it's just uh, totally irresponsible. Totally irresponsible is right. That was Joe Biden uh, a while back responding to what happened with President Trump and these allegations and Mar-a-Lago and all of that stuff. Yet here we have today, Joe Biden is now being investigated for the same thing because a U.S. attorney is reviewing classified documents from Joe Biden's vice presidency that were found at a Biden think tank. Now, I want to break this down. I want to bring in an expert. He's an expert on a lot of things. You know him from the Reagan White House. You've seen him. Uh, all over the place because of the excellent books he's written, the excellent films he's produced, and great commentary that he provides. Dinesh D'Souza, welcome, sir. Hey, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. You got it. So let's talk about this. How do you, uh, how do you think Biden is going to be able to square this thing where he says Trump's reckless and irresponsible for the classified uh, documents that were found at Mar-a-Lago, and here he is you know, with his foot in his mouth? Well, I mean, it is a bit much to expect Biden, who is really not operating with all the lights on, to try to provide some explanation for this uh, double standard. Uh, the good news for him is he, he doesn't have to do this because already a whole phalanx of media operatives are moving into Fred Astaire tap dance mode in which they're now going to explain to us that there's a critical difference 
between the Biden documents and the Trump documents, and it's perfectly fine for, for Biden to do what he did, or at best it's a minimal type of offense, whereas Trump's is an absolutely horrific offense that should uh, prevent him from ever being eligible to seek office again. I mean, this is the sort of standard move of the media. Um, quite frankly, they've known about um, these documents for a while, and it's very interesting that the that they it, they're only we're only hearing about them now. And I suspect it has something to do with the Republicans taking over the Congress. They're likely to find out. They're likely to put it out. And so this is a certain type of damage control by the media. Hmm. All right, folks, we're on with Dinesh D'Souza, filmmaker, podcaster. Make sure you check out all of uh, his uh, stuff out there, and we'll we'll plug everything in a moment. But, Dinesh, uh, speaking of the new Congress, uh, tell me uh, what you made of of the – I guess the what we saw recently where we, you know, this this balance, this struggle for the balance of power and ultimately how I think a small number were able to influence uh, a larger number and get to actual consensus. Well, it was a little bit of a kamikaze operation that that worked. Uh, and I say that because it, there was an element of risk. I mean, when mm-hmm. when you put someone like McCarthy up against the wall, he's a bit of a caged animal and, uh, you know, you don't want to force him to try to find a half dozen Democrats who would exactly. then uh, vote for him. He'd make concessions to them. Um, the media, of course, would hail this as a sort of wonderful triumph of bipartisanship. Mm-hmm. Essentially, Republicans <laughs> would lose the House if that were to happen. Right. Uh, but this was actually handled very well. I mean, I think what they did was they extracted the concessions that they could get out of him, and then they, they signed the deal. Now, you know, I've seen on social media that some of the MAGA types are like, you know, this is horrible and, you know, we the swamp won again and so on. And that would be a reasonable position if there was a realistic hope of getting somebody else. You know, if Jim Jordan threw his hat into the ring and said, "Okay, listen, I'll I'll go up against McCarthy toe to toe. But but Jordan was very much in the McCarthy camp. And so the only hope here was if they torpedoed McCarthy, we'd probably get Steve Scalise, who ideologically is cut from the same cloth as McCarthy. So we didn't get the best possible outcome, but I think we got the best practical outcome. That's really well put. And again, the same fears that you cited were the same ones that I had. I thought if you push him too far, he'll get he's going to win either way. Is it, does he win with us or against us? And I think that was the uh, the um, the best way to win. Now, let's uh, talk about Biden, because Biden made a visit to down to the border. And it, it seems like there was this mad dash to clean things up, make it look good. And is, is it, Dinesh, that you think maybe Biden had no idea there was a mess down there? And that's why they cleaned up for the president's visit. It's not like he hasn't seen the news. Or do you think he's in the dark? No, I don't think it's for that reason that they cleaned it up. I think they cleaned it up because... Um, because of the optics of uh, publicly released photos of Biden being down there with, you know, uh, tarps and, and people sleeping on the streets and you have mm-hmm. to step over bodies to make your way down the street, all of this would look really bad. So this has nothing to do with, you know, fooling Biden about what's really going on at the border. Now, I do think that border policy is being shaped by left-wing radical attorneys who essentially favor something very close to an open border. And these are people who've prevailed upon Biden to go along with this agenda. Um, but he's, I think he's completely in on it. 
Mayorkas is in on it. They actually do know what's going on. This is a sort of political thing that they've agreed to do. They've been promised long-term political benefits for the Democratic Party if they do this, a kind of a uh, demographic shift um, in the voting base of the American population over the long term. And so they're dug in on this. I I think this is not something they're going to back down on. And it just means we have a festering sore of an open border unless until someone basically puts a stop to it. And this the stop to it that I think many of us are looking to see is for some sort of um, enforcement of maybe previous um, policies enforced by President Trump. Biden recently came out and said, oh, we're going to allow only 30,000 people a month. And I'm thinking this is the same guy that's turning a blind eye to the million or two million people that have come in since he's been president. So how can we believe him? I don't think we can. So what do you think the stop is going to be? Is it going to be the Republican Congress uh, beginning to defund things, um, using their leverage? What say you? Well, I do think that the House will do what it can with the power of the purse. But, you know, the problem really is this, and that is that, I mean, Biden is brazenly flouting immigration law, but he's doing it using the interpretive latitude that somebody has to enforce things, uh, and and the the enforcement agencies are typically given a great deal of discretion. Uh, I think the real failure here is on the part of the courts, because when you have laws, it is the job of the court to make sure that these laws are being enforced. And so to some degree, the conservative philosophy of judicial restraint, which is basically the court goes, hey, listen, we're the judicial branch, the legislature makes the law, the executive enforces the law, it's not our job to get involved, which has by and large been the court's position, a sort of a hands-off position on the legislature and the executive. I think this is a mistake when the laws are being, in in a certain way, blatantly flouted. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with that. And and I, I fe- personally think there was a commitment by McCarthy early on that he said, you know, what, we're going to impeach the uh, secretary of DHS, Alejandro Mayorkas. D- do you think they're going to make good on that? Well, I think this is where the, uh, you know, the funny thing about a guy like McCarthy is he's never shown the medal to be able to carry through on something like this. In fact, my concern about him is, you, you know, you basically have a frat boy in a combat zone. But remarkably, we saw that in his fight to preserve his own speakership, <laughs> he showed unbelievable yeah. tenacity, tireless willingness to hang in there, a certain, you know, a certain fighting spirit that you wish he showed on policy issues. So what I'm kind of hoping is that McCarthy, you know, takes some of that fighting spirit now that he's got the support of the House, I think the House will be behind him. Use the power that you have to make a difference. This is something Democrats typically do and Republicans almost never do. All right. Uh, let me remind everybody that we're on with Dinesh D'Souza. He's the host of uh, the Dinesh D'Souza podcast. He's a great commentator. Definitely check out everything he's got. He's also an amazing filmmaker. And uh, Dinesh, let everybody know your website. It's DineshDeSouza.com, and the podcast is available both in audio and in video. All right, folks, we're uh, sticking around with Dinesh D'Souza. He's coming right back with us. We'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about 
how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. Valdez. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. The people you might call establishment types in the GOP, like Mitt Romney, who voted to convict Trump twice and then got censured, or the Bush family, who didn't vote for Trump in the last two elections. They don't exist within the House GOP. If you don't believe me, just ask Liz Cheney, who was exiled from the House Republican Party for daring to hold Trump accountable after January the 6th. A Cheney was kicked out of the GOP. House Republicans like Nancy Mace can try to look moderate and reasonable by calling out the Matt Gaetzes of the party, as she did on a Sunday show this morning. But the reality is that the House Republican caucus as a whole is extremist, is conspiratorial, is far right wing, is in hock to one Donald J. Trump. Some of them just do a better job of hiding it than others. All right, America, welcome back. We're on with Dinesh D'Souza, and that clip was from Mehdi Hassan. He's a host on MSNBC. Now, Dinesh, when you hear that and you hear that Republicans are being painted as extremists, which, again, common narrative uh, from um, folks on the left, uh, what's your reaction to to this latest uh, accusation of Republican extremism? Well, it's very hard to um, take a House majority, which was not only uh, elected through the electoral uh, vote, but also won the popular vote, and pretty decisively in the midterm. That's, by the way, one of the relatively lesser-known facts about the midterms, is that this is a case where the electoral system sort of benefited the Democrats. They won they did better than expected because they won a bunch of close races. And, uh, but if you, if you put the tallies side by side, the House GOP uh, candidates did very well. So these are popularly elected people from around the country. How can they possibly, by definition, be called extremists unless you basically claim that the American people themselves are extremists? So these labels are uh, really political tactics. Um, the Republicans are somehow far right. It's extremely rare that you'll see the New York Times, the Washington Post, let alone Mehdi Hassan, uh, use the term far left. Now, why is that? The answer is pretty simple. Mehdi Hassan himself is pretty far to the left on the spectrum. So to him, a moderate Republican is right wing and a conservative Republican is so far right that Mehdi Hassan can barely see that person from where he sits. But where he sits <laughs> is comfortably on the left. Oh, that's a great analysis. And, I, and it's spot on. And I think you're right. And this is the reason they look at the rest of us as if we're, we're lunatics. And I'm hoping, and you tell me what you think, will the, the theme of domestic violent extremists and uh, uh, ultra-maga, semi-fascist, what have you, 
Do you think that begins to dissipate now that, that there's a Republican majority, or do they crank it up? No, I don't think the left is going to give up on this. The left doesn't give up on these tactics. They tend to ramp it up, and they're always hoping that enough of people in the middle... You know, we've got to remember that the ordinary American is not all that politically engaged. The mm-hmm. activists on the left and the right are both minorities. And so the media has a reach that conservative media, for example, does not. And so their point is, let's just ramp up the lies because there are enough guys who aren't paying careful attention who are going to go along with it. So, for example, anyone who actually watched TV during January 6th could see what kind of, you know, tin pot insurrection is this? I mean, nobody seems to be trying to take over anything. And even if they completely succeeded, what's going to happen? Do they now control the U.S. government? No. Basically, the police will come surround the place, put on some bullhorns, and ask everyone to leave uh, and take people out if necessary in handcuffs. End of story. There's no insurrection. There's no, there's no plausible plan to take over the government. So everyone who is watching actually knows this. But we've been subjected to relentless lies for two years nonstop that it's almost as if, like, what do I believe? Do I, did I re- really re- rem- do I go with what I remember seeing dimly two years ago? Or do I go with this kind of relentless drumbeat of, of really misinformation and lies coming from the mainstream media? And, you know, when you talk about the, ca- the mainstream media, I, I feel like it, they just don't let up. And I think you're right. And that was why I asked. I just was hoping it wasn't just me being jaded. But Katie Turr, another host on MSNBC, she uh, was blasting Mike Lindell and Steve Bannon and blaming them for these riots that occurred in Brazil. And um, and again, as as far as I know, um, I don't think Mike Lindell or, or or Steve Bannon had anything to do with these things. But again, I don't know. Uh, what's your take on the situation that's that's occurring in Brazil? Well, first of all, I do think that we should always be a little hesitant in taking, you know, ideas and models that are entirely domestic and projecting them onto faraway countries about mm-hmm. which, by and large, the speaker knows nothing. I mean, I'm amazed at all these people. They've never been to Brazil. Uh, they know nothing about Brazilian politics, and yet they are 100% convinced that the Brazilian election was free and fair. They'll say things like, there are unfounded charges of election fraud in Brazil. How do they know? They don't even know what the charges are, let alone why they're unfounded. So what's happening is, yes, I do think that there is a, what's happening, and, and, and the United States is not alone in this, is you've got deeply divided societies. Uh, in Brazil, for example, almost the, the huge concentration of the Lula da Silva vote comes from the Rio de Janeiro area, and the Bolsonaro guys win basically the entire rest of the country. And so the question now becomes, you know, does Rio de Janeiro and the suburbs get to sort of mercilessly rule the rest of Brazil? What's really going on? Not to mention, was this in fact a free election? I don't really know. But on the other hand, I would be, uh, you know, I'm not hasty to declare that I do know. Uh, And I do Mm -hmm. think that the way to deal with these suspicions of election fraud is to sort of be respectful toward them, really investigate them. I don't just mean procedurally. I mean, investigate the substance of them instead of saying things like, let's silence the opponents, let's shut them down, let's lock them up, which is by and large the left's approach. Yeah, and I think this is um, 
a uh, something that you you know pretty intimately well, having uh, written about and produced a film on this um, election irregularities and and ballot harvesting and all of that. So I want to dig into that a little bit, but I want to give folks the phone number so that they can give us a call. The telephone number is eight three three. The number four and my last name, Valdez, V-A-L-D-E-S. Or you can call 866-505-4626 if uh, you want to get in with Dinesh D'Souza. But we're about to dig into that topic because it's interesting to me how people can declare one way or the other prematurely in many situations. Everything's on the level or it, the whole thing was was a fraud. Uh, I think we you need to look into things, like you said. So give us a call. Again, hit me at Rich Valdez on Twitter and all the social media at Rich Valdez with an S on all of the social media. And we're coming right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. I am Rich Valdez, and we're on with Dinesh D'Souza. Uh, a couple of people have taken me up on the offer. They want to speak with Dinesh. We've got somebody calling in from Dallas, Texas on KLIF Al in North Dallas. Hey, Al, you're on with Dinesh D'Souza and me, Rich Valdez. Welcome. Yeah, good evening, Rich. And uh, Dinesh D'Souza, I first heard you on the Dennis Prager Show. I think your movies you, you've done are fantastic uh, documentaries, and uh, uh, I'm sure the audience is so glad to be listening to you. I I want to agree with your assessment of these people that judge the election in Brazil as unfair or whether it was fair or unfair. They don't know. So they should just refer to the election as disputed. That's what a fair and honest journalist would do. Thank you, Al. I appreciate that. Uh, Dinesh, your thoughts? Boy, what an excellent point. You know, the, uh, the key thing here is that, is that journalistic objectivity, to some degree, is unattainable. None of us can be perfectly objective, but we should strive for it, particularly when we're offering news as opposed to analysis or opinion. And here you have a contested election. Um, and you have different points of view about what happened. Same as, by the way, in America with the 2020 election. I mean, one of the, the, to me, the first clues that something was amiss is when a massive wall of censorship descended on the 2020 election so that anyone who questioned it, even people who questioned, you know, simply the assertion, this is the most secure election in history. (laughs) Now, frankly, anyone who says that needs to produce a comparison of the amount of fraud in the 2020 election compared to all previous elections. Because you're asserting that this was the most secure election. No one ever did that. And yet, if you questioned the idea that this was the most secure election, you know, you're kicked off, you're deplatformed, you're shut down. Um, and so, right away, there was a silencing of the debate. And um, fortunately, all of this is now coming to light. I think the Republican House has a lot of opportunities to do a lot more in this area. And um, we have a long way to go to restore free speech in America. All right, everybody. We're on with Dinesh D'Souza, author, filmmaker, podcaster. And uh, Dinesh, I I know that you went through a lot of this, um, 
you know, uh, backlash from the media, the media just creating their own narratives when when it came to your I think it's your most recent film, uh, The 2000 Mules. And and it seems to be that, you know, it seemed isolated to you at the time. Oh, Dinesh is now off the deep end. He's this and he's that. But now we're seeing it happen in Brazil and they're saying the same exact things. Well, not only that, but, you know, look at this Idaho murder case. I mean, I, every, everywhere I turn from CNN to the MSNBC, oh, the police are doing an amazing job. They're using cell phone geo-tracking to pinpoint the location of the suspect. He was seen stalking the venue of the, of the victims for several days beforehand. Suddenly, cell phone geo-tracking has become fantastic, irrefutable, right. <laughs> uh, whereas... Just, you know, roll the tape back to 2000 Mules when all these fact checkers, Philip Bump of the Washington Post, Ali Swenson of AP, oh, cell phone geotracking is a very primitive technology. It cannot pinpoint mules going to specific drop boxes. At best, it sort of gives a kind of low approximation of where people are. So, I mean... What's going on? The cell phone geotracking is fantastic. Then when 2000 Mules comes out, it doesn't work. And now it's working again. Yeah, 100%. I think you raise an excellent point because this is one of those things that is just um, it's a, a fantastic double standard that we see in the media. All right, let's uh, do one more of these. We have another call here. Uh, Michael in Ciara, Brazil. Is that right? You're calling from Brazil, listening to WNIR online. Michael? Welcome. You're on with Dinesh yes, and Rich sir. Valdez. Yeah. Um, yes. Thank you. Um, now, you're, are you in Brazil? I've been in Brazil since May 7, 2015. Where, where in Brazil are you? Sierra. C-E-A-R-A. Where is that? That's a state in Brazil. No kidding, Four- genius. What part of the country? All right, let's put Michael somewhere else until he can be a little bit more snappy. Let us go to James, uh, Don in Jamestown, New York. Yes, I'm here. And Rich, your speaker has got it 100% right. We got our so far left uh, news people. They don't go and give us the real news, and the whole their public is just all, like, dumbfounded. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Don. I try to get to as many of these as I can uh, because we try to be America's late night town hall forum, Dinesh. And ultimately, I think uh, y- you got a little bit of a raw deal with uh, the the way you were treated when, when this happened. And it's interesting to see how the same points that you raised are, are now being you know used in pro, like you mentioned, with the Idaho murder case and uh, in con with um, – with other cases uh, like this one with Brazil. And it's just fascinating to me because it becomes this this age-old double standard of the media picking and choosing who they want to attack versus who they want to praise. Well, you can always see, Rich, which side is being open-minded by which side puts itself up to have its theories refuted. So in 2000 Mules, we we offer these 2000 Mules. We have their cell phone IDs. Um, in many cases, you see them on video stuffing ballots. Now, it's very easy for law enforcement to say, okay, we're going to go and interview these mules. Maybe there's a reasonable and plausible explanation for what they're doing. And if so, Dinesh will look silly and his movie will be refuted. 
But the left was desperate that law enforcement not do this. Not a single person on the left said, okay, let's call Dinesh's bluff and go talk to the mules. No, their idea was let's not have an investigation because the whole idea of election fraud is preposterous, and obviously Biden was duly elected. So, th- so they were very eager not to take the next step, which, of course, could have completely refuted the movie. And so the next step has not been taken. And so here we have this film with a lot of evidence in it, but the logical continuation of the film would be for law enforcement to do its job. They're doing it, of course, in the Idaho murder case. And notice again, in that case, they're saying what makes the evidence powerful is that you've got cell phone geo-tracking confirmed by video. So you've got video of the white, you know, Hyundai Elantra and so on. Well, we had exactly the same. We had cell phone geo-tracking confirmed in some cases by video. And yet that evidence in the case of the movie, roundly dismissed. But in the case of the Idaho murder suspect, it's a key part of the case. All right, folks, we're on with Dinesh D'Souza. And Dinesh, uh, if you will, stick with us, only because I want you to explain something to me that you uh, talked about on your podcast about a a recent archaeological find. We won't have a lot of time, but I think it's an important topic. So don't go anywhere. I am Rich Valdez. Our guest is Dinesh D'Souza. We'll be right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, welcome back. We're on with Dinesh D'Souza. And as we put a pin in it, uh, Dinesh D'Souza's podcast, you should check it out. It's a really good podcast, as well as his books and his films. Uh, But Dinesh, tell us a little bit about in the, uh, I guess we got about two minutes here, to discuss how archaeologists have now stumbled upon some, I guess, some finds that support the Christian and Hebrew scriptures. Well, this is, um, this is a topic of great interest to me. Debbie, my wife, and I just got back from Israel. We did a, a nine-day trip uh, up in the Sea of Galilee area, also in the area that is called Caesarea by the Sea, which is where Pontius Pilate has his palace, and then, of course, Jerusalem. And the remarkable thing is that not just in the last you know, 50 or 60 years since Israel became a state, but even in more recent times, in the last 10, the last five, even the last two years, there are amazing archaeological finds. You know, when you look at the Bible, there are a number of characters in the Bible that do not appear anywhere else in the historical record. A classic example is Pontius Pilate. Here he is in the Bible, and for a long time people thought, well, he's some sort of a mythical figure, kind of like you find in Greek mythology. This is not a real person because we don't have any independent corroboration. But here we are, Debbie and I were standing in Caesarea Philippi. Uh, Here is uh, a Roman kind of the remains, the ruins of a Roman palace, and there's 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 a stone, a stone tablet with an inscription, the original of which is in the Israeli Museum, but it's a copy of it. And there his name is, Pontius Pilate, prefect of Judah, and in the exact time of Jesus. So here you have a case of independent corroboration of something in the Bible. And I just give a single example. There are literally dozens, if not hundreds, of these. And they don't just concern Jesus 2,000 years ago. They go back to the time of Hezekiah, the time of Abraham. You find things in the Old Testament that are 
truly thousands of years old that for centuries seem to have no independent corroboration, but basically once you start digging, you find that they do. Fascinating, fascinating. Now, Dinesh, again, if you don't mind, give everybody the website and let them know how they can listen to your podcast and check out all the work you're doing. The podcast is on audio. In, uh, you can get it in Apple Podcasts or Google or Spotify. On video, I post it on YouTube or Rumble. But a good place to go look is my website, just DineshD'Souza.com. Um, and, and you can also follow me on social media. Outstanding. Well, brother, thanks for being here. I appreciate it. Dinesh D'Souza. A pleasure. All right, folks, more to come straight ahead. Hour two underway. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. Live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late-night talk program, featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Good evening and welcome to America at Night with me, Rich Valdez. Give us a call at 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. But first, one of the things that I want to discuss tonight is uh, inflation. And inflation has been steadily affecting everybody. It's been called this hidden tax. But beyond that, every day I look at something that says, you know, it's it's 7.1%. And last month it was 8.3%, what have you. But yet everything I buy is way more than 7% higher, right? And I think that's the same for you. I feel like I'm paying somewhere between 25 and 40% on, on everything I'm buying is that much more. So to help us make sense of a lot of this stuff is uh, the author of the book, The Great Money Bubble, David Stockman. Welcome, sir. Very good. Thank you and happy to be with you. My pleasure. Now, a lot of people don't know that you were the director of the Office of Management and Budget under President Reagan back in the days. And that's, you know, obviously you you were in the thick of it in government. Uh, So looking at it, I guess, longitudinally, looking at inflation back then and and how the situation we're in now, which to me is not a great one. uh, How does it compare for you? Well, uh, I, I've used the phrase, it's not your grandfather's inflation. Yes, we had double-digit inflation in good part of the 1970s when we took office mm-hmm. in early 1981. The inflation rate was 12 13 percent. Interest rates were in double-digit. The, econ- the com- uh, country uh, was very pessimis- pessimistic. Remember, Jimmy Carter said, put on your uh, cardigan and sit in front of the fire and uh, uh, you know, dwell in the dark. So it was a very bad time. But the point I would make is that we have a even more virulent, even more uh, sweeping form of inflation today than we had back then, which eventually was cured by the monetary restraint of Paul Volcker. Because what we have now is an everything bubble and in everything inflation. Now, we've had so much spending, borrowing, and money printing 
uh, by the Fed in the 30, 40 years since then, that uh, everything is way out of kilter, not sustainable, and what we're experiencing right now is ju- not just uh, you know food inflation at 12 or 14 percent, or gasoline prices that were at least at five dollars a gallon, uh, way up from where they had been. Uh, what we're experiencing is the um, puncturing of this great monetary bubble that's going to affect both Wall Street and Main Street alike. And especially (laughs) hidden in all this, but not all that uh, secret, is that we have a humongous debt bubble. If we go back to the late 80s when Greenspan started all this, Alan Greenspan at the Fed, there was about $10 trillion of public and private debt in the United States. And that's households, that's business, that's state, local, federal government. Borrowing by everybody was $10 trillion. It's, it's $91 trillion today, uh, you know, almost 10 times higher than it was then, even though the GDP has grown uh, not even by half that amount. So uh, we know what happened uh, within that category to the public debt. It went from $2 trillion back in the late 80s uh, to $31 trillion at present. We know what happened to the Fed's balance sheet. It just got bloated out of existence. It was $200 billion then. It peaked at $9 trillion uh, a few months ago. So these are just some of the uh, financial indicators, some of the metrics that indicate that we've got inflation across the board, including in financial assets. Half of this money printing that the Fed did uh, to basically monetize uh, the public debt, which was uh, soaring, ended up uh, fueling enormous uh, speculative bubbles on Wall Street, in the stock market, in the tech sector, uh, also in the debt markets, uh, in real estate, and even the so-called cryptoverse when all of these uh, crypto uh, coins got invented over the last four or five years. This is the real uh, dimension of the inflation we're dealing with. Uh, It's deeply embedded, and it's going to be – A very, very uh, tough time, difficult time, is the Fed finally is uh, awakened to its folly and is beginning to try to uh, bring this uh, bubble to heel. But I don't think we're going to get get there until uh, we go through a pretty serious uh, recession in the year uh, or two ahead. Now, uh, David Stockman, author of The Great Money Bubble, Protect Yourself from the Coming Inflation Storm. When you talk about this coming recession, and obviously this is one we, we heard Jerome Powell recently speak about saying, you know, it's, it's coming. And, and, and they're, you know, in, in effect uh, creating it by way of, you know, trying to be like Volcker to bring down inflation. In, in this uh, scenario where we have re- a recession, how long does this recession last well, the Fed would like you to believe, and Powell would like you to believe, that we'll have a fairly soft landing. Uh, I saw some economists the other day saying it's going to be short and shallow and uh, don't sweat it too much. I think it's just the opposite. I think uh, the uh, fight against uh, inflation and the effort to deflate these massive bubbles across the whole uh, spectrum of the economy is going to take several years 
And it's very unlikely during that period of high and rising interest rates and increasing levels of uh, federal uh, monetary restraint that we'll have much economic growth, uh, if any at all. We will have uh, a fairly hefty increase in unemployment and uh, a lot of quarters of negative GDP. So, in other words, uh, we're, we've got to the point now where you're going to pay the piper. We had a great party. Uh, the Fed uh, made it seem like uh, there was a free lunch. Everybody could get rich on Wall Street. Uh, everybody got a job on Main Street. Uh, households uh, could spend uh, and borrow like there was no tomorrow. The whole thing was too good to be true, and it was. And now, you know, we're dealing with the consequence. All right, folks, we're on with David Stockman, former uh, director of the Office of Management and Budget under uh, President Reagan's administration. And the, the White House today has a different tune. Heather Boucher from the Council of Economic Advisors has some interesting um, words of advice. And we're going to get to that straight ahead when we return. Plus your calls, 866-505-4626, 866-505-4626. Or you can try our new number, which is 833, the number 4-VALDEZ, 833-4-VALDEZ. You can chime in on either of those lines and uh, get at me at Rich Valdez with an S on all of the social media. So don't go anywhere. We're just getting started. We'll be right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. What do you tell the president about the likelihood of a, of a recession this, this year. And I, I know he, he made some type of comment that, yes, we could see a, a mild recession. I think he conceded that. What is the base case for you and, and, the, and the, the Council of Economic Advisors on whether we do see uh, a recession? And, and what well, would so it likely be, what are you forecasting would be at this point? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So right now, looking at the data, you know, from the end of 2022, we do not see indications that we are currently in a recession. We saw job gains last month. We continue to see wages increase, but at, you know, albeit at a, at a slightly slower pace. We actually got upward revisions to, la- to the, the most recent data on GDP, and it's actually faster than many of our economic competitors. All right, that's Heather Boucher. Uh, Biden's economic advisor on CNBC earlier today saying, no, listen, hey, things are fantastic. We don't see any indications that we're currently in a recession. And while that may be true today, it it may not hold true for the future. Welcome back, David Stockman. He is the former director of OMB in the Reagan White House. He's also the author of The Great Money Bubble, Protect Yourself from the Coming Inflation Storm. David, what do you think of Ms. Boucher's comments? Well, she was doing a pretty good job of uh, powdering the pig. But, uh, you know, you can't really talk about where we're going next year uh, and beyond based on looking at the rearview mirror for the last month or two. And even then, you got to remember that most of these jobs they talk about being created are actually born-again jobs. That is, they were lost massively uh, during the lockdowns and the shutdowns of 2020 and into 2021, finally, uh, 
only as recently as August did we get back to the point in terms of total jobs in the U.S. economy that we had in February uh, 2020 before the whole mess started. So we have had the lowest rate of job growth in history uh, in the last uh, two years. And in the last month that she's talking about, there was the grand total of 1,000 full-time jobs created. All the rest of it that was in the headline uh, reports and uh, that was uh, ballyhooed on you know, bubble vision and the financial press were, were either part-time jobs or jobs that were lost uh, a couple years ago and finally regained at the present time. So I don't think the labor market is anything that you would call strong. And when you look at uh, industrial production, for instance, we're still not much higher than we were uh, on the eve of the Great uh, Recession, uh, financial crisis in 2007. You know, that was uh, 15 years ago, and the industrial production is barely higher than it was way back then. So that isn't a very strong economy either. And we can go through investment. We could go through a lot of other metrics. But the point is, if you look at the data on an honest, unvarnished trend basis and not cherry pick, you know, a number from October and another number from August, but look at the trend on the on the fundamentals, the economic basis basics, uh, you would see that we've got a damn weak economy. We've got an economy freighted down with what I said before was $91 trillion of public and private debt. And we have a Fed that is being forced to raise interest rates from rock bottom, where they were absurdly, you know, pegged at almost 0%, to something that's uh, 5 6 7% sustainable over time, But with all that debt, uh, these rising interest rates are going to grind the economy to a halt and uh, eventually kick uh, the can over into recession. All right. Now, David Stockman is our guest. He's the author of The Great Money Bubble, Protecting Yourself from the Coming Inflation Storm. David, what uh, is the best way to hedge against inflation? Well, the first thing is to be uh, sober and realistic about where we've been and therefore where we're headed. I think we've gotten spoiled by two or three decades of what I would call bubble finance, Uh, stock market booming, uh, bond yields falling, which means you you made money owning a bond on top of whatever interest was being paid. Uh, everything uh, looked very easy. It seemed like there were free lunches everywhere. And people need to understand that wasn't real, that wasn't sustainable, that was a a party that never should have happened. It was due to uh, uh, false policies uh, in Washington. And now they're being forced to turn, uh, you know, uh, the corner and uh, put on the brakes in terms of the Fed And that's going to bring uh, a totally different uh, environment, a totally different era in front of us. You won't make double and triple your money by buying tech stocks. Uh, In other words, there isn't any option in the stock market. Everything is tremendously overvalued at the present time, and it's going to take years to come back to earth. The, The bond market is dangerous. Even today, the yield on the 10-year, which is the basic government debt, 
was three and a half percent, but inflation is seven percent. That's a negative uh, three, four percent yield. That 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 isn't sustainable. Which means the bond price is going to fall as yields uh, rise and come back to normal. Real estate is way overvalued because interest rates were way too low, and real estate prices are the inverse of whatever the yield is on all the debt that goes into the purchase of real estate. So what I'm saying is the easy money has been made. Uh, The Wall Street casino is now a pretty dangerous place. And what people need to focus on, it's not a very happy message, is reducing their liabilities, that is debt and other liabilities, because the asset uh, appreciation is over and done. It, it, it just is going to be years of grinding away as we attempt to get the economy uh, normalized, interest rates back to normal, and inflation under control. All right, and I guess a last question for you is going to be the, you know, there's all of us are buying gas one way or another, and we saw a recent dip in gas prices, and we know that the president was um, at, at several points kind of emptying out the strategic petroleum reserve. Uh, but now I'm seeing these gas prices come right back up. What's your take on, on the future of gas and oil prices? I think it's, they're likely to go up. At least that's the risk in a global market where the whole oil supply system of the world is being drastically disrupted as a result of these sanctions on Russia and the attempt to uh, prevent the largest oil producer, uh, hydrocarbon producer in the world, which was Russia up until uh, last year, uh, from marketing its products uh, around the world. Uh, Also, it was rather foolish, in my uh, judgment, to put a million barrels a day of our strategic reserve into the uh, market simply to try to help the Democrats get, uh, you know, protect their their congressional seats in the recent uh, election. And that's the only reason that Biden did it. For crying out loud, it wasn't an emergency of the type we had in mind. And I was there, you know, I was one of the uh, legislative architects and then the creators of the strategic reserves, oil reserve in the early 80s. It was meant for a dire circumstance in which, let's say, the Persian Gulf shut down and 20 or 30 million barrels a day suddenly uh, disappeared from the global supply system. We weren't in anything like that. Uh, They were just releasing a million barrels a day, draining most of what remained in the reserve in the desperate hope that they could get the pump price down uh, a few quarters and thereby mollify the public. Well, you're exactly right. They've used up uh, all of uh, most of the excess that was in the reserve. We're now at a very low level. They finally stopped uh, releasing uh, uh, from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, and uh, the supply and demand law hasn't been repealed. And you're going to see, I think, uh, uh, upward pressure on prices, not only because of uh, further global oil disruption and because of the increasing sanctions on Russian uh, production and sales, but also because uh, the, the uh, artificial supply has been, uh, uh, you know, removed from the market. Right. Well, we'll put a pin in it right there. David Stockman, thank you for being with us. Excellent conversation. I hope you'll come back soon. Okay. Very good. Thank you. All right, America. 
Um, more to come straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. It's Rich Valdez. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Rich Valdez at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And that's Valdez with an S, by the way. And uh, if you want to chime in that way or give us a call at the number that you were just given. And uh, there's a quick story. I just want a headline I want to share with you. This really makes me laugh. Listen to this headline. Gas stove ban is on the table. According to a federal agency, the Biden administration, uh, U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission is considering a ban on gas stoves as... Concerns surrounding indoor air pollutants from the appliances continue to rise, according to reports. Now, I'm not going to get into this at at length. We'll we'll talk more about it at the top of the hour. But, boy, gas stoves have been around for, I don't know, my entire lifetime. It's just interesting to see the the priorities that the Biden administration has. Now, I also wanted to get into this headline here. Let's see. This is it right here. This was breaking news a little while ago. Twitter was pressured by Pfizer to suppress posts questioning COVID vaccine efficacy. And that's according to a new Twitter files dump that was released by Alex Berenson earlier today. And this one is interesting because they're saying that a board member for Pfizer pressured Twitter to suppress and censor any posts questioning the efficacy of the company's mRNA vaccine. And this happened back in 2021. And it's just coming to light today. And again, a lot of people were suspicious of this and there was a lot of talk about it. But now uh, Elon Musk is putting it out through various journalists and it's known as the Twitter file. So helping us break that down is my friend, my colleague, Dr. Tom Borelli from uh, Newsmax. Tom, welcome, sir. Hey, Rich. Thanks for having me on. First time on your show and congratulations. Thank you, brother. I appreciate it. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you. Believe it or not, I, th- I must have told the uh, the team several times. I was like, "Hey, we got to get Tom and Deneen on," and um, and I'm glad that you're finally <laughs> here, really. And I'm hoping that you'll be on soon because I'm the I, first I victim. <laughs> you are. Well, you're you're terrific. I think the audience is going to love you because I was just uh, a, a giving uh, some food for thought to our producer during the break. I said, "You know, Tom Borelli, He's actually Doctor Tom Borelli. He's got a PhD in uh, molecular biology." And, and he was like, get out of here. And I was like, yeah, but he's he's a political analyst and he's, he's damn good at both. So Tom Borelli, um, I think this is a perfect topic for us to discuss because this happened today. Um, t- what's your immediate yes. reaction to this Alex Berenson um, Twitter files drop? Well, I guess this is uh, Twitter files number 12, <laughs> yeah, right. I think. I'm, I'm not totally sure, but it's in that ballpark. So now we've got a dozen of them. And uh, obviously, what we saw, what we're seeing, is you know the big picture uh, is that the government loves control, the Democrat-run media loves control, they like a monopoly, and they don't like any dissension from what they say. And the big battle now was Twitter, because as we're finding out in all these files, is that Twitter has a huge influence on news. And everything was great when the FBI, when Pfizer, <laughs> all these people can control what's coming out of Twitter. 
that's great once they can mm-hmm. control it. But now that Elon Musk has it, they can't control it, and they're throwing a fit. But again, you're going back to this Pfizer. I believe it was Dr. Gottlieb was one of the individuals who mm-hmm. uh, got Berenson silence from my initial reading. And it turns out Gottlieb was not only the former head of the FDA, he's also a Pfizer board member, and he's on the board of directors. So obviously he had a financial interest in uh, controlling Twitter. Fascinating. It's interesting how this stuff is so intertwined all the time when people complain about something and then they say, no, you know what, that's misinformation. You can't talk about that. That stuff is no good. It's fake. It's phony. It's fraud. And then the next thing you know, all of a sudden, boom. By the way, we found out that this was actually true. There was some truth to it. And, and these things start to come out. And, and I think we're, we're in a battle. And this is a little bit more macro and, and, and a little bit off, off the topic, but it fits. We're, we're, I feel like we're in a battle for the truth, right? We're in a battle uh, for, to get away from relativism. Oh, absolutely. And, and I don't know where we go from here. I mean, I, I try to stick with the facts, but it seems like even things as simple as science, things as simple as, I don't know, gender, you, you name it, everything is questionable. Tom Borelli. <laughs> well, Rich, the whole world's upside down, that's for sure. Where we're, we're men are women, women are men. Uh, <laughs> vaccines are all the vaccines, you know, from my science background perspective, I and mean, all the, I would say, drama over the mRNA vaccines uh, has harmed, you know, public health at large because people don't believe anybody anymore on anything. And I think, talk about big picture, I think that is the biggest risk. Where are you going to go, to your point, for truth? And it's very difficult these days. People don't know who to trust because every one of our institutions have been exposed as being corrupt, right? The FBI used to be, you know, for uh, truth and justice, kind of like Superman, right, in the American way. Now we found out that they were a weaponized organization intent on uh, not getting uh, Trump elected. Then when he was elected, getting him out of office, and he's out of office, and they're still after him. So, and then when they couldn't do that, I mean, the first Twitter files, I think, was was the one on the Hunter Biden laptop. And mm-hmm. this is true. This is like a... This is like a mystery novel that the FBI, remember, they had Hunter Biden's laptop in December of 2019, well before the election, and they did nothing with it. But what they did do, they knew there was something in it, and they preemptively were warning Facebook and Twitter about, especially just before the election, about the possibility of Russia disinformation coming out involving something to do with Hunter Biden. So they basically inoculated the social media company saying something's going to come out. And then when it came out, the FBI says, all right, here it is. And nothing happened. They, they took the, the, you know, the New York Post story off because they thought it was based on Russian disinformation when it was the truth. But the FBI was priming the pump. And, of course, we know the former deputy counsel of the FBI was one of the top lawyers at Twitter. And he was making sure that the Hunter Biden laptop didn't see the light of day with that New York Post story. So I've said this before. It's like, was it a mistake that the top lawyer in the FBI ended up to being one of the top lawyers at Twitter? How does that happen? Oh, that's just a coincidence. And look at the effect. One person. 
Right. One, exactly. One person was able essentially to affect the 2020 election. Now, how scary is that? Yeah, it is scary. Folks, we're on with Tom Borelli. He's a contributor at Newsmax TV. You can check him out on the Newsmax website. Check out his uh, regular uh, column there. And, Tom, stick with us. We've got some calls, and we've got a couple of things I want to run by you, not the least of which was that story I mentioned, which is uh, that uh, this agency is thinking of banning gas stoves because these appliances cause uh, respiratory <laughs> health issues. So uh, don't go anywhere. There is more to come. I am Rich Valdez. Our guest is Tom Borelli. We're coming right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, and our guest is Tom Borelli. Tom Borelli, uh, <laughs> this story is, is to me, it, you know, it sounds like it's parody. You think it's coming out of The Onion or out of uh, the Babylon Bee, but the, the government is considering banning gas stoves because they feel that this could cause respiratory and health issues. And I think if you know it's causing a problem, then ban them. And if it's not, then what's really behind this? Tom Borelli. I'm here. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, look, the problem here is is that uh, it's natural gas, which means it's a fossil fuel, which, according to the Biden world, is it's got to be stopped. It's really as simple as that. And personally, uh, right now I'm in the house where we're cooking with electric, but I'd love cooking with natural gas because you actually can see the flame. Yeah, <laughs> I'm a visual kind of a guy, <laughs> right? You can see high, low, and in electric, Absolutely. you shut it off, it's still hot. So it, it, I, I don't like electric anyway. But no, this is uh, just part of the game that they're playing with respect to energy. If it has anything to do with the fossil fuel, it's bad. But, of course, we know the electricity comes from what? comes from coal, natural gas anyway, <laughs> uh, so, and nuclear. So this is uh, part, of the, part of the whole game that the Biden administration is playing. If it moves, regulate it. You know, former uh, <laughs> President Reagan had lines like that, right? Yeah. right? It's Tax so it, and regulate it along those lines. I, I think you're right. And, and it, it, to me, I just think it's problematic because it seems like it's political, right? It seems like it's, it's not just regulation, which is job killing and economy killing, but it seems more like, um, yeah, it's another extension of this Green New Deal crazy that has nothing to do with anything but doing it in the name of the science, which I think is uh, pretty crazy. Now, uh, one of the things that we saw uh, earlier this evening was – the new uh, majority in the House voting, taking a vote to defund billions of dollars in funding that was going to go towards 87,000 new IRS agents. And that's been rescinded, uh, or at least they had this vote to rescind. Uh, what's your reaction to that, Tom Borelli? Well, I think that's fantastic. I think that's one of the promises that uh, the Republicans were making if, if they got control of, of either House, 
Unfortunately, we didn't get the Senate, but the House, so they're keeping to one of their promises. And I, I'm, I'm glad they're doing it. I'm glad they're coming out with a, with a strong effort uh, following, you know, last week's uh, episodes and drama. But this is really important because, look, I, I would think the vast majority of Americans do not want 87,000 IRS agents. That's plain and simple as that. So I think that that's a great issue. Uh, I think that's great that they did it first out of the box. And they just have to keep pushing, uh, you know, with these ideas and using the power that the, the American people gave them to try to rein back this government that has essentially gone wild. If they're going to regulate and remove uh, or prevent you from buying a gas stove, <laughs> what else are they going to do? 87,000 IRS agents, what are they going to be doing? So, again, it's the growth of government is the real risk to liberty. And at least we now we have the House that can kind of put the, tap the brakes on this and put some speed bumps uh, because we still have the Democrat-run Senate and Biden, obviously, in the White House. All right. Well said. Tom Borelli is our guest. I want to go to a quick call here that has a question for you. Jim in Bowling Green, Kentucky on WKCT. Jim, you're on with Tom Borelli and Rich Valdez. Welcome. Hey, Rich, I got a comment and a quick question for Tom. Uh, comment being, I wonder what his thoughts are on the Clintons were probably guilty from everything from drug dealing to extortion to murder. Oh, boy. The Bidens being exactly the same. I wonder what his thoughts are on what's the percentage that you think really that Hunter Biden and Joe Biden and his brother are going to ha- face consequences for their actions. Thank you, Jim. Tom? Tim, great question. Yeah, that's one of our big frustrations that I have in general with, with the government at large. It's called accountability. And uh, Rich Valdez will be held accountable for doing his show. I'll be held accountable for doing my hits on Newsmax. But those in power are not held accountable. And I think what's most frightening about it, what we're seeing going back to the Twitter files, is the fact that the federal government, the FBI, law enforcement, was out there protecting people who look like they broke the law. So the system at this point is terribly corrupt, in my view. And that's why we need all voices educated. I'm glad you're listening to the show with with Rich and Valdez and me. Because, look, there are people out there who only want to give you the truth and then allow you to make up your mind on what to do. And you're only going to get that through talk radio shows like this or watching Newsmax TV because we're going to give you the truth, and then we have to act. But this, this corruption needs to be exposed. It's a national embarrassment. It's a global embarrassment. But finally, we're seeing the light of day. It's coming out. Remember, if Musk did not buy Twitter, we would have known to the degree that the FBI was involved in protecting Hunter Biden. At mm-hmm. least we know that. And now the House of Representatives, one of the powers they really can do is hold hearings on that. So this is, you know, part of a long process. As to your point, Jim, it's been going on for too long. But I think it's coming to a point now where many Americans are just going to be fed up and are going to demand accountability. All right, Jim, thanks for the call. Tom Borelli, stand by right there. We're going to continue the uh, conversation. Again, if you have a call or a question, give us a call, 866-505-4626. And we are coming right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez.
This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. It's Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And uh, we are going to kick off Open Phone America in the, uh, in the next hour, at the top of the hour. Uh, but our guest is Tom Borelli. And uh, Tom Borelli, I want to wrap up with you in the minutes that we have remaining and let everybody know about some of the work that you're doing with uh, Newsmax. Where do they find you? How do they follow you? Oh, great. Yeah, so uh, at Tom Borelli on Twitter, Instagram at Tom Borelli. I um, used to be on Facebook, <laughs> but they silenced the Borelli so much, so I'm there, but I don't <laughs> use it. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, follow my uh, social media. You'll find out when I'll be on Newsmax uh, TV making uh, commentary. And I had a great time when I was on with you a couple of times. Oh, yeah, it's always a pleasure. Uh, I, I enjoy it whenever we have a chance to be on together. Now, Tom Borelli, tell everybody uh, in you know just about a minute and a half how um, how you go from being a, a molecular biologist to becoming a uh, talking head on television. Yeah, that's, yeah. Well, it's uh, take it would take a whole hour, but uh, <laughs> basically, I worked for a company called General Foods uh, back in the day. And they had a, a, a program, a fellowship program, where they would send one individual from the company to work for, in Washington, D.C. for a year as a congressional staffer. You'd leave the company and just work for Congress for a year. So that's how I made the jump. I went basically from the lab bench to uh, working in Congress. And I had no interest in working in Congress, but uh, God works in strange ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I went there, and I found out uh, what they do there is a much bigger lab than uh, what was going on individually. I, th- I thought I could affect more change by getting involved more in politics and policy than I could at the lab bench. And while you were in Washington in the swamp, did you um, make friends with uh, Dr. Fauci? <laughs> no, no, no. This is uh, he, Actually, he was still there. This is, I'm dating myself, but this is in 1987. He was always there. But I'm sure he was still there. <laughs> he was always there, and he, he, he's still getting a great pension that you and I will never see. <laughs> I know. Well, Tom, I want to thank you for being with us tonight. I really appreciate it. Godspeed to you. My best to Deneen. Uh, you and all your listeners as well. Happy New Year. Have a blessed one. Thank you, Tom. Take care. All right, and uh, that was Tom Borelli. Make sure you check him out on his uh, Newsmax column and follow him at Tom Borelli on the social media. And I want to remind everybody that's listening that if you've missed any portion of tonight's show, you can check out the podcast because this program, America at Night, is available as a podcast. You can find it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever it is that you listen. Just search my name, Rich Valdez, or America at Night with Rich Valdez. And, of course, that's Valdez with an S at the end. And uh, hopefully you'll find it, and you can click subscribe. And I'd love it if you did that. If you're already subscribed to my podcast, This Is America, uh, which is a weekly podcast as opposed to this daily one, uh, you can... um, You'll, you've already heard about this, so just uh, duly noted, just click subscribe because I think those things are absolutely important for us to continue the conversation when we're not on the air. And a lot of times people call and say things like, you know, I love the show. I'm able to catch the first hour live in the car while I'm on my way to work because I work in the evening. 
Uh, but then while I'm at work, I can't really listen to it. So I catch the podcast the next day. And believe it or not, some people really love our number three, Open Phone America, which is coming up straight ahead. So don't go anywhere. Your calls and more. 833, the number four Valdez. Instead of 800, it's 833, the number four Valdez, V-A-L-D-E-S. I am Rich Valdez, and we're coming right back with Open Phone America. Live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Good evening and welcome to America at Night with me, Rich Valdez. Give us a call at 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. And um, we're going to get to a lot of things tonight, but there's a few things I want to talk about. Um, We've been talking about stuff all night. We've had some great guests. Uh, It's been um, really a lot of really good conversation. So if you've missed any part of it, I would recommend you check out the podcast, which you can get uh, wherever you get your podcast. Just look for... America at Night, Rich Valdez, Rich Valdez, America at Night, and that's Valdez with an S, and you can hear the podcast of this and replay these um, interesting interviews if you want to. Um, I just want you to subscribe just in case you ever miss anything. You can immediately revert to that. And another thing I wanted to mention is the uh, House, the House of Representatives, the Republican majority uh, under new leader McCarthy's already taken action. This is one of the promises that he made, and it's already a promise kept. They have voted to defund billions of dollars for the um, package that included the 87,000 new IRS agents. Uh, another interesting thing was AOC all out crazy, our least favorite congresswoman from the Bronx and Queens, or at least mine. She she says that she wants Bolsonaro deported and that or we should need to rescind his visa. Uh, so that he cannot vacation in sunny uh, central Florida in Orlando. Uh, There's an article on that. We'll get to that in a minute. I know there's a lot of people on hold that want to chime in. This is America's late night town hall, and I love to hear your opinions. And it's National Law Enforcement Day. So always a big shout out to uh, everybody that is a law enforcement officer and everybody out there in the world of law enforcement. A big salute to you from me. Uh, I thank you for your service. And there's a a story that I just referenced, and we'll get to it maybe right after the bottom of the hour, where the federal government is thinking of banning gas stoves. I'm not making it up. It's a real story. They're saying it causes some sort of health issue. So we'll talk about that because I think it's it's fascinating that's happening. And I want to get to your calls because we talked about a lot, right? Earlier we talked about how Biden was shocked about what Trump was doing with classified information in his private office. And turns out, guess what? We have Biden doing the same exact thing, right? I mean, you can't make some of this stuff up. And of course, we also have um, calls from where? Let's see. Eastern North Carolina, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Evergreen, Montana, Moscow, Idaho. Let's see, Manila, Philippines. Reno, Nevada, and Michigan. 
Look at this. A lot of people have been holding for a long time. Let us go to Matt in Eastern North Carolina. What's up, WTKF? How are you, sir? Hello, Rich. How are you today? Happy New Year. Thank you. Happy New Year to you. It's good to hear your voice, Matt. I What's meant, on your mind? I, I meant I meant tonight with your nice new name for your show. Oh, thank you. I I'm like glad it. you appreciate it. Yes, sir. And um, about the gas stove thing, I'm working backwards here. The gas <laughs> stove thing. Yeah. What are they coming after next? The giant wood heater I'm sitting in front of enjoying your show? That's not right, because it happen, makes smoke. <laughs> not going to happen. And let me tell you something door. about those wood heaters, first of all. So my my, my family has a, uh, a farm out in uh, Pennsylvania in the Pocono Mountain Range. And uh, I go up there every now and again. And let me tell you, that wood-burning stove, that is one of the coolest things ever. Both the fireplace as well, but they make such good heat when it's cold up there. And it is one of the nicest things ever to sit in front of that fire and just feel that warmth. And uh, to think if Joe Biden tries to come after those fire logs, oh, boy, I think we're going to have a problem. But go right ahead, Matt. Can I say one more thing or a couple of more course. things? As you said just before, the epitome of hypocrisy, if you will, is what you just said. Biden last summer was complaining, no, about Trump having classified documents, then mm -hmm. he gets caught with the same thing. And how come nobody talks about Hunter Biden, the big guy anymore? <laughs> Ten percent for the big guy. Well, I, I have a feeling that we're going to hear a lot more about that. And I appreciate the call, Matt. Thanks for calling and thanks for the compliment. And it's interesting. Joe Biden was definitely um, taking aim at President Trump last summer when he did make these comments. Listen to this. When you saw the photograph of the top secret documents laid out on the floor at Mar-a-Lago. What did you think to yourself looking at that image? How that could possibly happen. How one, anyone could be that irresponsible. And I thought, what data was in there that may compromise sources and methods? By that, I mean names of people who helped, or et cetera. And it's just uh, totally irresponsible. T totally irresponsible. Now, you know, I've given a nickname to President Biden. It's Joe El Baboso Biden. In Spanish, baboso means like a bumbling. The more direct translation is like the drooling one. But I don't think he's the drooling one just yet. I do think he does bumble a lot. And I'm not saying I don't think he's very competent because, you know, my dad had dementia related to a brain injury from a fall he had. And I can tell you that my dad forgot a lot of things. But one of the things he didn't forget was how to throw a quick jab and a, and a, and a really solid cross and hook. Uh, never forgot it, right? And I think Biden's the same way. You, he might forget where he's going. He might shake hands with the air and high-five the Easter Bunny. But he doesn't forget how to be a, a, a politician. He doesn't forget how to cut deals and do what he does. And, and it, it just fascinates me to see how, you know, when he's in his element, he just smiles his way out of everything, and uh, he goes back to what he knows. But I don't know what's going to happen with this one. I don't know if this is the, like uh, Dinesh D'Souza pointed out earlier on this program, how this might be the, the Republicans may be on to this when they do oversight. So they're thinking, let's soften the blow by putting it out there ourselves. Or I'm thinking maybe it's some uh, political enemies of Biden saying, you know what, we don't, please get the memo. We don't want you to run again. And these are his Democrat friends sending this memo. But either way, Attorney General Merrick Garland has uh, a U.S. attorney in Chicago reviewing these classified documents that was found were found at the Penn Biden Center for Diplomacy and Global Engagement in Washington. Two sources with knowledge uh, told CBS News. That means 
leakers within the uh, establishment there. The uh, roughly 10 documents are from President Biden's vice presidential office at the center. So private office, not in the White House. And what's interesting here is also, you know, Trump has the legal ability to declassify what he wants as president. Right. Not, uh, you know, ex post facto, but before the fact. So it fascinates me that Biden never had this ability. So what's what is his uh, excuse going to be that I'm allowed to have classified info and leave it wherever I want? I think that's wrong. So I think um, we should look at this more. Anyway, this classified material was identified by personal attorneys for Mr. Biden in uh, in November of 2022, just before the midterms. And uh, looks like they've um, decided to say, okay, look, we, we have this here, blah, blah, blah. They were contained in a file folder with a box and other unclassified papers. The sources revealed that neither what the classified documents were, what they contained, or their level of classification. Uh, so there's still uh, some questions around that. And I'll continue to, to work through this article. But I think it's an interesting thing that we have going on here where uh, – not so good for the goose as it is for the gander when it comes to Joe Biden and his classified documents being laying around. So um, we'll continue with that and more straight ahead. It's Open Phone America, your chance to be heard on the um, late night town hall forum created by Larry King back in 78, maintained by Jim Bohannon for three decades. And here I am with all of you. And again, we don't have this show without you. So a big shout out to each and every one of you, the listeners and those of you that are calling in, and we're going to get to you straight ahead. So don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. It's me, Rich Valdez, Richie V, right here on your airwaves. We're live. I like to remind you that we're live because, A, I love to be on live. And, B, this is your opportunity to chime in and join the national conversation. I see that I think there might only be one phone line open, so thank you guys for participating. We're going to get to all of your calls. Uh, We got Sarantino in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Um, What's on your mind, brother? Welcome to the show. Hey, Rick. Tarantino here. Um, you know what? Uh, I don't want to sound like too, too much of the old guy thing going on, but if I hear one more young person go, I don't judge, which is their way of saying, I don't think I stand for anything. I'm a relative. I'm going to scream. That's yeah. what they always say. I don't judge. I go, there's a difference between uh, judging people in a critical fashion or ascertaining if a certain behavior is right or wrong. And that's a very difficult concept for them to get. You know, you bring up uh, a really great point, Sarantino, and I thank you for the call on KDKA, by the way, the big KDKA out in Pittsburgh. And what's interesting to me about this is so many young people are led astray by faulty thinking. And that's what this is, right? So they they put this idea in their head to say, you know, judgment is bad. Judgment is bad. But ultimately, again, if I'm not that... um, far removed from this younger generation, but far enough, right? As a Gen Xer, I'm 44 years old. To me, I think, you know, all of us live our lives 
ultimately leading up to what? Judgment day. So yeah, we're ultimately going to be judged by how we lived our lives and you know, we're judged in how we do in our jobs. And this is why I think we're seeing the degradation of society in so many ways, in so many aspects where people think, you know, you're not allowed to judge me. You're my boss. You can't judge me. You can't do a performance appraisal on my work because that would that would be judgy. <laughs> you know, it's almost like saying, you know, you should be in good health. Uh, and there's some clip of audio that I've got that's amazing. I think you should hear it where basically they're saying, you know, if you're pursuing um, um, a better lifestyle or if you want to be healthier, that this is somehow racist. And uh, if you don't believe me, I want you to listen to this. This is a clip of audio from the Libs of TikTok account where they're making the case that being skinny is somehow equated to, you guessed it, white supremacy. Listen to this. This is not like racism. It is racism. Anti-fatness is rooted in anti-blackness. And the reason why people are pursuing thinness is because they're pursuing proximity to whiteness. The reason why people hate fat people is because people hate black people. And appearing curvier, bigger is associated with blackness, especially black women. And that's why they're discriminated in the workplace, um, overly sexualized. And this has gone back for centuries and centuries. All systems of oppression, capitalism, sexism, racism, it all comes back to white supremacy which is the foundation of the fabric of America and rules every sector and aspect of our society. Wow. So I listen to something like that. I can't help but laugh. I've heard it like three times, so that's why I'm not laughing as much now. But the first two times I said, is this girl blind? Has she not seen how men and women both have fallen in love with um, booties, right? I mean, the, the Kardashian booty, the JLo booty, booty all over the place. I mean, this is, a, and there's an epidemic of booty in America. There's booty implants, right? So people want to appear curvier. How is it that people, is it because people now want to be less of a white supremacist? So they're trying to alter their body shape? No, I think it's because they find it attractive in what, whatever, um, in whatever they feel about themselves. I want to look like this. I want to be thin. I want to be curvy, whatever it is. So my point with this is how could this woman in her observation think that everybody wants to be skinny because they want to be white? I just don't see it. I don't see it as racism. I don't see it as uh, uh, an inherent white supremacy issue. If I'm wrong, you got to give me a call and let me know. But I think Sarantino was on to a good point, and I thank him for the call. Uh, let us continue because I think there's a lot here to discuss. And let's see here. We got uh, – Oh, that's an interesting one. We're going to get to Illinois momentarily, so don't go anywhere, uh, Grady in Illinois. But I wanted to go to, let's go to Paul, who's in Ohio, because he had a comment on the border and he'd been on hold for a while. Go ahead, Paul. Welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Uh, good evening, Rich. Uh, your new format there, uh, it'll have to grow on me. You know, I'm sure I'll learn <laughs> to like it. I'm just so used to the Jim Bohan show. Um, yeah, aren't we all? But, um, yes. Uh, I would like to ask you just your opinion about Biden going to the border today, and then they've got it all cleaned up. You know, you don't see no immigrants laying around, you know, with tarps and stuff. You don't see nothing like that. They show no pictures of it, you know, and he's standing by the wall. Well, that makes you think about this. Isn't that ironic, Joe? If you keep if you get a wall, then you won't have all those uh, immigrants. Now, why don't he go to where there's the holes in the wall? And look at all the immigrants going through. You see my point? Yeah. I mean, that was a total false. Yes, sir. Go ahead. No, no. I'm just saying I, th I think you're right. And I think, again, I put my, you know, sometimes I have my tinfoil hat on. This is my Democrat hat. I'm going to put my Democrat hat on and say, 
I think that the way to do it is if you show Biden next to uh, where there's a gap in that wall, where there is no border barrier, what's going to happen is people are going to say, there's Biden standing at his open border. And he doesn't like this word, right? He doesn't like this terminology, this phraseology, open border. Uh, and honestly, it's not even one that I like. It's a catchy one because uh, I don't believe the border is open. I believe the, the brave men and women of the Border Patrol are there doing their job. And in many instances, they're facilitating the transfer of people. So it is vis-a-vis, in effect, an open border. But it's not technically an open border, right? So I, I think sometimes um, our semantics really matter. It's not like they're asleep at the job and nobody's there and people are just waltzing in. That's not the case. They're, they're, every month we hear about, you know, I don't know, 200,000 gotaways. Well, maybe they're in the interior of the company, but they also talk about the ones they've caught and apprehended. And they say, we've got apprehensions and I don't know, whatever, 180,000. Those are people that are, uh, some of them um, are, are, at least before Title 42 was over, were sent back. And now you've got, you know, people that are apprehended and then released to the interior of our country. So I understand the the, the frustration behind what's going on. And, and we've had a lot of these discussions. But my point is, I, I think had Biden not stood in front of the wall, then that would have been the criticism he gets. So I think now he stands in front of a wall, almost trying to take uh, some sort of credit, you know, or a tacit endorsement of the Trump border wall by saying, look, here I am. The wall doesn't work. You know, clearly we still have a problem here because, you know, uh, Orange man bad and his and his crazy wall idea didn't work. And by the way, Mexico didn't pay for it. And I think that's uh, part of the reason why Biden was there. Do I agree with that? No, not necessarily. But I think that's 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 the case. Thank you, Paul. I appreciate your call. Let me see. Who else do we go to here? Well, with uh, only a minute to go, we won't go to anybody just yet. But I will remind you about a couple of things. Um, And this is not a something I enjoy. I hate making death announcements, but Diamond from Diamond and Silk has died. And I I saw this about an hour ago on Truth Social. I wrote it down and I meant it as a reminder for during our open phones time. My condolences are with her sister Silk. Um, I had them on my show uh, probably about a year ago when they released their book. And uh, if you want to check that out, that's on the This Is America podcast um, with Rich Valdez. You can subscribe to that as well. I hope you will. But uh, our uh, prayers are with uh, them and uh, their family. All right, more to come straight ahead. I am Rich Valdez. We're going to continue with your calls and more. It's Open Phone America right here on America at Night with Rich Valdez. Radio six years in a row. It's Rich Valdez. All right, welcome back. Excuse me, I was combing my hair. Pardon me. Anyway, our phone number is 833, the number four, Valdez, V A L D E S, or you can call us on our legacy number, 866 505 4626, 866 505 4626. Now, you've seen the movie Snakes on a Plane, or you've heard about it. I, I don't think I've ever seen it myself. But uh, leave it to um, our staff to say, oh, my gosh, look at this story we flagged for you. Somebody tried to get through airport security with a boa constrictor. 
and their excuse that the snake is their emotional support animal. I think this is beyond crazy, but this is the world that we're in. And I think, man, you know, I'm going to start identifying as whatever I feel like it. If that's going to be the case where I can say this is this and this is my emotional support, whatever, you know, soon people are going to just do whatever they want because there seems to be no um, no claim to truth. Truth has become extremely relative and that's it. It's the world we live in. Anyway, we're going to continue our national conversation across the country, America's late night town hall featuring you, the listeners. And I want to go to Ron in Council Bluffs, Iowa, listening on KMA. Ron, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Good evening, Rich. How you doing, buddy? Wonderful, sir. Thank you. I am absolutely outraged over what Kevin McCarthy has pulled off. One man has shut down our government for over 15 days. You talk about a puffed-up toad, uh, a egomaniac. And a destructive person, he is it. And then as he walked down the aisle, I think his guy's name was Sledge or Sedge. He's the one that's been heckling McCarthy. He goes stomping up the aisle like he's going to do something. Suddenly, Congressman Roberts comes out of nowhere. He's going to slug him. And then another congressman jumps on him behind Congressman Bacon from Nebraska, the fat man general. And then out of nowhere comes Marjorie Taylor Greene. What a... The characters we got here. Yeah. Now, let me ask you, because as far as I know, there were there was only four days of delay, not 15 days. No, there were 15 days. It was no, just 15 votes. On. It was 15 votes, um, but it was four days. And honestly, I don't know that, you know, McCarthy did anything bad. I mean, let's let's really color by the numbers here. Right. So McCarthy is the minority leader with the support and the confidence of his conference to to become speaker. He makes a nomination for speaker, or they make it for him, and he accepts the nomination and gets over 200 votes with a small number of holdouts that are holding out for a number of things, changes to the rules. Um, some are holding out for committee chairmanships because they feel that they would do a better job because they don't trust McCarthy. And ultimately, he concedes to everything. You know, after three or four days of negotiating, they say, okay, and now mind you, the government's not shut down per se. Uh, everything does continue, just um, they weren't able to move any other business through the House of Representatives until they got that particular piece of business done. Now, I do see the harm in in delaying this, whereas ultimately you're pushing McCarthy into bed with the Democrats if he can't cut a deal with Republicans. And that's just the political reality of Washington. I think that's outside of McCarthy. That's what you've got. Right. And I don't think anybody was going to look at Newt Gingrich and say, Newt, you need to step aside if you don't. Nobody was going to make that claim. They made that claim here because, in my opinion, it was a false equivalency. Nobody was ever going to step aside. He was always going to win. The question was, what was the deal going to look like in order for us to get there? And whether it was telling three or four Democrats that he needed their present vote in order to get to where he had to go, that was going to happen. And he was going to owe that. So I think, you know, better to owe the guys on your team than the other guys, because then in effect, you're, you know, you're, you're very weak. So uh, th- that's my take on it. And ultimately, thank God, I think D- D'Souza put it well, where he said this was a kamikaze tactic that ended well. And I agree, this could have been dangerous. And I tweeted as much. And uh, I'm grateful that it worked out the way that it did. But I don't think he held the country hostage. I, I think, if anything, the other people did. But 
for good reason. And ultimately, nobody was being held hostage. I think they held the process hostage, and that's fine. You know, it is what it is. Uh, anything longer probably would have been in rough shape. I do think we were somewhat weakened by this. I don't think that we emerged stronger. It's just my opinion. Uh, I think that the the media pounces on this and says Republicans are indecisive. They're this and they're that. And they're always going to come at Republicans no matter what. But you got to kind of manage the expectation. And if you want to come out swinging, you want to come out being McCarthy and saying doing this, right? Imagine if his first day as speaker, he comes out and says, oh, remember those uh, 87,000 IRS agents? No more. They're gone. Right. And he's able to do that type of thing and just start, you know, not a swing and a miss, but swing and hitting them out of the park. And I think that's uh, would have been ideal for me because that now sets the stage for strength and leadership coming out of the Republicans from this new majority, albeit razor thin. And that, I think, starts to set the stage for the future battle, right? We have a battle for the White House that's coming up. There's no real bench from the Democrats. So what do we do? We have to pick the Republican we think is best for the job. Um, some people uh, are, are in love with one candidate. Others are involved with it, uh, in love with another. I always say you go with what works. Don't fix it if it ain't broke and and move forward. But we so we already have some drama there. We don't need to keep adding drama is my point. I think we need to just have our best foot forward and be decisive and be strong. And in order to do that, we have to um, to be as unified as we can because people are watching. But ultimately, it worked out. Right. So it wasn't ideal. Uh, again, another quote from D'Souza earlier today, who was uh, on the show earlier in the first hour, he said, it wasn't the best possible solution, but it was the best practical solution. And I thought, well said, couldn't have come up with something better. So that's why I'm quoting him. Anyway, Ron in Council Bluffs, Iowa on KMA. Thank you, sir. I appreciate your call. Uh, let us continue our journey across the country on America's late night town hall, America at Night with me, Rich Valdez. Let's go to our buddy Gil in Manila, Philippines. Gil, welcome. Yes, uh, uh, good evening to you, uh, Rich. Um, congratulations on on your new format. Uh, Thank you. And, uh, um, and uh, I, I hope to continue to listen uh, as long as I can. Uh, one quick mention. You, uh, yesterday would have been yesterday would have been Jim Bohannon's seventy uh, ninth birthday. Oh and, wow! Uh, going back going back a few years on his birthday, I would always sing uh, Happy Birthday in Spanish, Las Mañanitas, the uh, Mexican well, version. Well, let's let's uh, hear uh, a quick rendition of that for the late great Jimbo. Go for it, brother. Oh, excuse me, I wasn't prepared, but okay. Come on, it's radio, brother. You're always prepared. Las mañanitas que cantaba Rey David a que sería de tu santo te las cantamos a ti. Despierta, Jimbo, despierta. Mira que amaneció y los pajaritos cantan la luna ya se metió. That was not the reason for my call, but thank you. Well, thank listen, I, I honestly, I do appreciate it. I'm a sucker for nostalgia and for tradition, and uh, I, that was something that I wasn't aware of, and I'm, and I'm happy that we get to acknowledge it and commemorate it. Big shout-out to the late, great Jimbo Hannon, uh, just a legend. And not, not much else I could say. I think everybody here knows how great he was. Uh, anyway, Gil, you, did you have a comment about inflation? 
or did I make that up? Yes, I did. Uh, in, right inflation and also the president's visit to Mexico. Uh, you had Mr. Stockman on earlier, and uh, I, I have a, a, a way of uh, expressing uh, the uh, uh, the ravage of inflation. It's uh, the uh, middle-aged, uh, overweight contortionist that says it's getting harder and harder to make ends meet. So, um, no. No, no rim shot. I thought that's a pretty good joke. <laughs> you know, they always fall flat on me. I'm a little slow at this time of night, Jim. Uh, Gil, you have to, um, you have to, you have to warm it up. But okay, okay, all right. And, and secondly, um, a, in preparation for Mr. Biden's uh, visit to Mexico, the Mexican mm-hmm. authorities arrested El Chapo Jr. Uh, two days ago. 29 people were killed in the operation. I don't know if you saw that on, on the internet. You know, I heard a little bit about it uh, while I was getting coffee, but I don't know the whole story, so I'll take a look at it. But, you know, the, your, your joke, uh, uh, falling flat on me, reminds me of a, a, a young lady that creates this uh, video on Instagram where she interviews people all over the place, and she just tells them, I'll give you $200 if you can make me laugh. And they do their best, and she's got this great poker face. And I, I've only seen her laugh like twice out of like a hundred videos that I've seen. So uh, I feel like I feel like that girl when 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 I miss your punchline. So you're killing me, Gil. Anyway, I appreciate you, brother. Happy New Year to you. Thanks for the uh, rendition of Las Mañanitas in honor of Jimbo's birthday. Do they sing that in Puerto Rican birthday parties? No, no, we we do we do. Um, Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday. <laughs> anyway, Gil, thank you so much. More to come straight ahead on uh, America at Night with Rich Valdez and this uh, remainder of the program, Open Phones Across America. I promise you I'm awake and I know what I'm saying. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. at night with Rich Valdez. All right, and there's some uh, breaking news on tractors. Uh, the BBC is reporting that U.S. farmers have won the right to repair their own John Deere tractors. So we'll probably touch on that more tomorrow, being that we're uh, close to wrapping up the show. But I want to jump back into one of the topics before about the emotional support snake the boa constrictor that was on the plane Uh, because um, Robert in Charleston, South Carolina, listening on WTMA says uh, that we should travel with exotic animals. Is that right? Yes, sir. Um, um, They're they're very, very faithful animals. Um, I know two guys from Germany, one of whom had a lion as a pet. He was a circus owner, Mr. Sarasani. The other one was a university kind of a guy who lived with the cheetahs in Africa and um, they both had very good relationships with those animals. And and then I, I knew an, an, a, I knew of a guy who had to give up his lion. So he gave he looked all over the world for a good place to give up his lion because they wouldn't let him keep it. So he gave it up to it at a, at a zoo in South Africica. And then now, do you think flying back, with a lion is something that would uh, 
require like a, to buy an extra seat? Does he have to put the lion in a cage below in the cargo area? How would that work? Well, there are two airlines that are pretty pretty good with that. One of them is Pakistan International Airlines. I think the other one would be uh, Air India because they both have, have great respect for animals. And I, I flew with Pakistan International Airlines. I flew with my rabbit. Did you bring a lion with you? I didn't bring a lion. I brought a rabbit uh, because that's the animal that with whom I lived in, in, in Germany. But I, and did you I, bring it like in a, in a little carrier or was it like in your lap? Uh, I, I, I had to bring it in a carrier, but I was allowed to take her out of the carrier and, 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 and let her look through the window to see, you know, how, that we were flying at about 30,000 feet. And, and we Now, what's your relationship with the bunny? Is, is this like a pet or is this uh, like a work animal or a service animal? Um, well, she provided a lot of psychological support, and she was very smart. She helped me figure out what things to eat, where would the most vitamins be, vitamins and minerals. And, and it turns out that they're in the blue-green kohlrabi leaves, and uh, they in Germany they throw them out. The people just buy the kohlrabi bulbs and then throw out the leaves. So we got the leaves for free, and that was her favorite food. And she was indicating to me that that's what we should be eating. Turned out a mm. couple of years later they did figure out that that, in fact, is where the most vitamins and minerals are in the blue-green kohlrabi leaves. So she was right. The animal, Jennifer, figured it out before the before the scientists did. Wow. Well, thank you, Robert. I appreciate that. Shout out to Jennifer the Rabbit. Uh, Jenny the Rabbit, we appreciate that. Uh, let us go to Grady in Illinois. Now, Grady, are you using this karabi leaf when you're cooking uh, or not? Uh, yes. I, I cook with gas only in my home. But do you uh, but use the, the karabi leaf that um, Jennifer the Rabbit was sniffing out? I do not. No, I do okay. not. <laughs> All right. We'll go right ahead. Uh, you mentioned earlier that the uh, the federal government's considering banning gas uh, stoves. Mm-hmm. Well, um, as I mentioned to your screener, uh, the the restaurant industry was devastated by COVID, and millions and millions of dollars were lost just to, due to the shutdowns. But there is not a restaurant in the United States that doesn't cook with gas. And so if this goes through, it's going to further devastate the restaurant industry. And cooking with gas is the only way in a restaurant. And I cook at home uh, with, with gas. It's the only way to do it. Uh, it's been done professionally for good gravy, well over 100 years, if right. not more than that. So it would right. just hurt the restaurant industry even further. Yeah, I agree with you, Grady, and, and I appreciate it. And I think you're you're right on that. This is what I was thinking. You know, we've been doing it forever and a day. And on top of that, we um, unless you're going to propane, can we continue to put more demand on our electrical grid, more um, electric um, stovetops or ovens? It's just not going to work. I mean, this is the reason that we're seeing issues with um, all of these batteries and the recharging of of um, EVs, electric vehicles. So I think we're 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 at a spot where we really got to really evaluate things because otherwise we're going to be left with the idea of wind, the idea of solar, and having brownouts and a lack of actual electricity in order to do what we have to do. All right, let us uh, continue our calls from across America. We're going to go from Illinois to the East Coast, but we're going to do it right after we take a quick pause, check in with our sponsors. It should be about one, two, three minutes, and we're coming right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez.
This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Holy smokes, it sounds like a dance club in here. What's going on in that studio? Anyway, it's Valdez. I'm going to go to, let's see, um, John and Reno. Quickly, you got about a minute. Go for it. Rich, my liberty-loving amigo. Yes, sir. Uh, I'll tell you, the last, the last caller to Tom Borelli said that Clintons were murderers and drug dealers. <laughs> yeah, I heard that. <laughs> I, I, I had, I, I've heard the murderous stuff. I've heard this trail of fifty bodies. But last I checked, nobody was in jail. Exactly. You know, Bill was a horrible womanizer. A Secret Service agent growing up in the Washington D.C. area told me she was bisexual. Those things they did. But they didn't murder or deal drugs. Yeah, and I didn't even know about that stuff. <laughs> but uh, it, it was all news to me The uh, outside of this one documentary I saw a while ago. But I appreciate it. How, how are you listening? You're listening on the stream? Uh, KDKA. Oh, excellent. We love KDKA. And John and Reno, thank you for the call. I appreciate it. Um, let us continue with um, the good doctor, Aronson, in Moscow, Idaho. KSPT. Welcome, sir. Thank you. You got about 40 seconds. Uh, the FDA with the Scott Leap thing having a conflict of interest. All mm. these doctors that are on these panels need to be investigated. Their wives, their kids, who has stock in this company's of the drugs that they're approving because they're approving drugs like the one for Alzheimer's that causes brain edema and bleeding, and you can't diagnose Alzheimer's until the person's dead. It's ridiculous. Well, I don't know that I've, you can't uh, diagnose Alzheimer's till someone's dead. I've seen people be diagnosed with it before they die, but I get it. It's a degenerative, a neurodegenerative disease, and as such, it doesn't get better. So, I mean, the earlier you catch it, you could try drugs like Aricept, and there's a new drug out there, but they, they don't always work, and they don't always work for long when they do work. But I, I get your point, and I appreciate it. Thank you for your call. And let's see, with a minute to go, can we get it in for a minute? Uh, Lance in South Jersey, WNOZ, go right ahead. You got about 50 seconds. Hey, I have very happy, healthy, and prosperous New Year to you there, Rich, I like the new format. The bumper music's a little bit amped uh, up. I feel like uh, you're at Steel Pier dancing <laughs> with Jerry Blavitt. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's, and there, I, speaking I did, of the bumper music, it's right there. Lance, I'm sorry to cut you off. Good to hear your voice. Happy New Year. Please give us a call back tomorrow. I love your opinions, and I'm looking forward to speaking with everybody. Steve in uh, Grass Valley, California. Thanks for the call. Propane's the answer. Give us a call tomorrow. I want to hear from you as well. And Frank and Evergreen, big shout out to KOFI. More to come mañana. Hasta la próxima. Until the next time, I am Rich Valdez. Take care, good night, and God bless. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.